It was a sticky summer day in New York City. I had just left the dark room at Columbia University and was headed to the market for a popsicle. On the corner of 110th and Broadway, something shifted in my brain. Faces stopped making sense. Eyes, noses, mouths became jumbles of geometric shapes, circles and triangles floated like holograms above smooth eggs. Reading expressions became bewildering, then impossible. Things escalated from there. I spent evenings with my ear pressed to my dorm room door. I wouldn't open it until I was sure no one else on the floor would see me. I began to worry that my heart and lungs had been replaced by robotic gears that might burst out of my chest now, or now, or now. At the height of my confusion, I tried to make myself disappear. My hospital records labeled it a suicide attempt, but it was never my intention to die. I just didn't know how to match my inner reality to the world outside of my skull. I later experienced other shifts in my brain. Some were terrifying, but others were ecstatic. Words flowed effortlessly, colors grew brighter, even gravity seemed to have less of an effect on me. Was this what people meant when they talked about spiritual awakenings? Was it the first sign of a superpower? When my therapist suggested another trip to the hospital, I was flabbergasted. I knew that whatever was happening to me should be handled with care, but why was it something to be extinguished? Recovery is often the ambiguous goal in psychiatric treatment, but what does that even mean? What I wanted was understanding. Maybe the fearful months prior to the hospital had been a time of preparation, Maybe being immersed in the trickery of the dark had made me more equipped to harness the light. In the light, I felt like a benevolent sorceress. My effervescent joy could bring happiness to the world around me. I knew I could help people trapped in the dark to see the brightness of the stars and to find their way through. Even if these states, dark and light, were temporary, I felt as though I had touched upon some magic that transcended myself. I began to wonder if an extraordinary experience can be traced back to some misfiring of neurons, does that mean it isn't valid? Or could it be that the brain contains its own magic? To help me answer my questions, I put out a call for stories. I am seeking stories from accidental explorers of non-traditional realities, spiritual dimensions, labyrinths, mazes, and enchanted elsewheres, light, dark, and in between. A central piece of the narrative tapestry is examining experiences labeled as mental illness, 
and finding alternate lenses to understand them. One of the first individuals I spoke to was Anasuya Starbear. Anasuya has heard voices and had visions throughout her life. Her journey has brought her to become a healer and a guide. She is now a process-oriented therapist. I was intrigued by the way that Anasuya talked about moving between different levels of awareness or reality. Her words triggered a sense that my not-so-everyday experiences were not only okay, but important. I visited Anasuya over the summer at her home in Portland, Oregon. She lives in a house on a hill in the middle of an enchanted forest. She served homemade iced tea and tomato salad from her garden. I asked Anasuya about the levels of awareness. There are three, consensus reality, dreamlands, and essence awareness. Anasuya used her iced tea glass in order to explain the levels. In the first level, consensus reality, this is not that, like this is a glass, it's not a rock. In the second level, dreaming or dreamland awareness, this becomes that, it's the state that's always shape-shifting and morphing, so actually this maybe was a rock, it's blown glass, right? It's silica, maybe it was sand, maybe it's going to be sand again when it gets crushed and ends up in the landfill. And it's also comfort and soothing, and it's cold tube, and it's a container, and it's a work of art, and it's something different to everybody. And then, in the third level, essence awareness. There's no duality, so instead of this is not that, this becomes that, everything is everything. According to Anasuya, dreaming and essence awareness include emotions, moods, dreams and daydreams, and imagination. These levels are classified as altered states, but they are a normal part of being human. We marginalize everything but consensus reality, and it's called consensus reality because it's what we've consented to call real or what we've consented to focus on. Process psychology also talks about extreme states, like the one that led me to the hospital when faces stopped making sense. We can use words like extreme states instead of words like psychosis. The term focuses on the experience, and it doesn't imply that there is something wrong with the person who goes through it. As Anasuya and I talked, we walked around her home and looked at her artwork. She painted gorgeous medicine wheels and dream landscapes. Many of her pieces featured colorful dragons. My curiosity was piqued. Dragons had recently become a major metaphor in my own life. I talked about battling brain dragons when dealing with anxiety. I told her about wishing I could befriend some dragons instead of slaying them. I think I was referring to painful memories at that point. But maybe it was difficult people. Sometimes even I lose track of my metaphors. Anasuya seemed particularly interested in our shared interest in dragons. Yeah, they're a really big thing for me. To me, they're just life force. In fact, her biggest extreme state was with a dragon. We had just come back from the beach, and I had become absolutely fascinated with this dragon kite. A little boy was flying so all the way home. It was like this blue sky and this dragon image, and then... I was doing acupressure points on myself, and um, 
I touched some point and all of a sudden I was just gone. I wasn't really in my body. I was having this experience with this two-headed dragon. And that dragon, the two-headed dragon, it, it was male at one end and female at the other end and it was made of shimmering rainbow light and it was huge and I was just in this expansive blue sky with this dragon shimmering above me just sort of teaching me by being and one of the things that it was teaching me was you can go in opposite directions simultaneously and that duality is an illusion. Anasuya's blissful experience coincided with something very different in consensus reality. As she soared with the two-headed dragon, Anasuya's body was gripped by a cluster of seizures for 45 minutes. Her partner witnessed her going into convulsions, almost throwing her body off of the bed. He heard her screaming, he said, as if she was being killed. He called her name again and again, trying to bring her back. Anasuya bounced back and forth between being with the dragon and being in her body. Eventually, she came all the way back. What really stuck with me about that experience as valuable is what I learned from just being with that dragon energy. I don't have to be either there or here. Like that, the dragon is with me all the time. After her story, Anasuya offered to help me with my own dragons. You can do a journey and find the, the direction of the essence of the dragon and set a good boundary and ask the dragon to let you know what it has for you or give you a message. I wasn't sure what to expect, but I'm not one to turn down a novel adventure. And maybe her wisdom was what I needed to better understand my own extreme states. After a bit more tea, we headed to her backyard, a well-manicured terrace above miles of lush Oregon trees. She asked me to close my eyes and imagine a path, my path. I pictured a forest with a maze of clearings running through it, ever winding. She instructed me to select a companion to guide me on the path. I decided not to choose the dragon, I felt that my dragon problem was something of the past. Instead, I chose a griffin. I'm not really sure why, I, I just kind of like griffins. I didn't know if this griffin was my guardian, my alter ego, or my opponent. Maybe he was all three. Anasuya dubbed him a trickster, a shapeshifter. Neither good nor bad, just constantly changing. This path is the answer to your question. What does it feel like to be on this path? Anasuya asked me if my everyday self needed an anchor of some kind. I guess, yeah, an anchor that I'll always be able to find my way back to the ground if I start finding yeah. like a pathway upward yeah. and I probably will so. take it. <laughs> so your, your consensus reality brain says, all right, I'm willing to let you explore being a trickster, but I need to know how you're going to come out. Anasuya asked me to take on the role of the griffin. I was to offer advice to my everyday self. She asked me to come up with a word or image 
that could remind me of my path, and to bring me back from darkness if I found myself too lost. I think if I think prism, actually, because then it'll just kind of, like, it mm-hmm. switches mm-hmm. It switches the mode very quickly. Great. Or everything is also a kaleidoscope, so if it's not the right color right now, it might shift again in two seconds. I hadn't thought of it like a kaleidoscope or prism before, but it made sense. I thought of standing on the corner in New York City, watching the world take on the cold tints of a horror movie. I imagined the lens shifting, standing on that same corner and seeing my surroundings burst into neon. Nothing had changed in consensus reality, but that didn't make what I saw any less real. The journey that began in Anasuya's backyard led me to others with stories that tied into mine. In the Bay Area, I met Michelle. She works in the healing arts as a body worker and is currently a student at the California Institute of Integral Studies. We immediately connected through a synchronicity, our names. My name is Misha. I don't think I mentioned that before. Misha is also Michelle's nickname. It might seem small, but it felt essential. Michelle and I had more in common than our names. For one thing, we shared my thoughts about shifting lenses. Consensus reality is one lens, and it's a lens that like everybody has collectively agreed to look through together and say, this is the truth, and this is actually what's going on, but it's just one lens. When I was doing my bodywork training, I started spontaneously having visions. Mm-hmm. One of them that I had that's relevant to what I'm saying now, I was in a meadow and a large snake came up to me and it spiraled all the way around me and held me in a coil and then it spun me around in 360 degrees and as it spun me around I was looking through its eyes and looking through its eyes was like looking out from the inside of a crystal like looking through thousands of facets. The felt sense that I got from the vision was that each angle, it's a different perspective. It's a different place of viewing the truth, but that the place inside the crystal and the picture that it was looking out at, it's all the same thing. It's all one truth. You know, We just see a little bit different pictures and we think this is the truth or that's the truth, but it's all one. I started getting a little overwhelmed during this part of the conversation. Maybe what she was saying was hitting close to home. Maybe my brain was struggling to balance her story with the distractions of our surroundings. I don't know for sure what triggered it, but as Michelle was speaking, I saw her face begin to separate from her head. That thing where faces don't make any sense. It started happening again. Do you, do you ever get like? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm getting so distracted by my own. I'm having like really weird visual things that I haven't had for a while. Um, like what? Like your 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 um. I get I get this with faces sometimes, and people's faces start looking like. I really go like that. <laughs> Michelle didn't flinch at my unexpected glitch in composure. And then after a moment of feeling jarred, 
I realized that I was okay too. Myself was still intact. I was able to step back from what I was seeing, to observe it without panicking. Her lack of judgment, her calmness, it helps me to calm down too. Michelle knew what it was like to have your perception play tricks on you, including, it turned out, with faces. I would see faces kind of like morph into like these like demonic expressions. You know, they go like, like that. It was yeah, not That's, good. It's scary. It is scary. Like mine, her inner world continued to unravel from there. She was diagnosed with schizophrenia. I was committed involuntarily. I asked Michelle what happened next for her. She told me that the hospital did more harm than good. And that when she returned home... I would almost describe it as, like, catatonic. I was just sitting there in the rocking chair, and I was just... I was... My being was still in shock. You know, I was just... Just in shock. It was kind of like what I had been through was a journey to the underworld, and I hadn't come back all the way. My husband turned on Live 105 Does a Monster Mash on New Year's Eve. Oh. <laughs> it's like this horrible, silly mix-up mashup of, like, all the pop songs... And my husband, who does not dance, he's 6'5", and he outweighs me by 100 pounds, and it's all muscle and bone, and he's just this big guy with this big beard and hair, and he does not dance. He turned on Live 105 Monster Mash, and he danced. He stood in front of me in my rocking chair, catatonic, and he danced for like two hours until he was sweaty and... I mean, he just totally just let it all loose. And he, it was like, you know, the, the, the Orpheus going to the underworld to bring back his love. I mean, he danced my soul back into my body. I feel like I've had my being and my psyche torn apart, but I've also experienced the ecstasy. And I believe it's in all of our nature to thrive and to be, you know, magical and shiny and huge and brilliant you know we're all gods and goddesses but we're all like little and hurt so it's on the way to that that stuff like this happens I thought about the meaning found in morphing lenses I thought back to Anasuya's backyard to the moment that our quest was grounded. So the, the idea that you might get stuck in some dark place, it's the dreaming. And even you said it won't last very long. Mm-hmm. It morphs. It changes. That was your own advice, right? Mm-hmm. And so to remind your consensus reality self that gets worried about that, that that's not a consensus reality state you get into. It has a different set of parameters it operates on. And nothing there lasts very long. It's always morphing. And the stars are there. (laughs) I know. That makes me happy. When I left Anastasia's house, I was greeted by a sound explosion. It felt like a gift. Thank you so, so... Oh, God, it's gorgeous. I'm like, I'm so happy. I'm like, oh, there's a symphony out here. home, I think about Anasuya, about Michelle, about myself, 
accidental travelers to realms beyond consensus reality. Anasuya grappled with seizures. Michelle was diagnosed with schizophrenia. I was labeled as bipolar, amongst other things. But we all moved past the boundaries of medical labels to reclaim our extraordinary experience as wholly our own. All of us also had people who could call us back if we flew or fell too far, got lost and needed help. Anasuya's husband called her back to her body. Michelle's partner danced. Lately, if I need help to get grounded, I ask my partner to take me to the forest. I continue to meet others with unique stories of extreme states. I've found that there are as many lenses as there are people. I'm continuing to document as I go. The lens through which I see the world is a shapeshifter. I can accept this. By the standards of traditional psychiatry, I may not have achieved recovery, but I do feel closer to understanding. My experiences, light, dark, and in between, are not something to be extinguished. They are a part of who I am.